going to be looking at the last several verses of this wonderful chapter of God's Word in Romans chapter 8. And while you are finding that, just an update based on the Trinity Western orientation that we had yesterday at Trinity Western. I believe that was announced here this morning. And uh, I was there and Tammy was along, Ferd and Jenna were there, and the Sycamas were there as well. And we had a great day of meeting different students who have just come to Trinity Western, year, year one for them. Kids from all over the world, young adults from all over the world, I should say. And we made a lot of different contacts with these folks. And some of them came to church in Surrey this morning. So we're very thankful for that. And so pray for these students as they begin and our students as well as they begin. And some of us uh, who are teachers as well, please uh, be in prayer for these, uh, for these uh, folks and these students as they get orientated in some cases, not only to a university life, but also a new country as we met folks from really literally all over the world. So it is quite an amazing thing. And this coming Friday, I'll be at their chapel. Uh, so pray about that as well, that we could have some more contact with, uh, with students there. So Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39 is what we'll be looking at this evening. Verse 31, this is the word of our Lord. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we come to this wonderful passage, we ask that what we have not, you would give us. What we know not, you would teach us. And that you would bless us greatly by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Philip Melanchthon might not be a name that you know super well from church history, but he was a colleague and a great help to Martin Luther, the reformer. And he was a good friend and associate of Luther, but he was not always held in high regard amongst other high Lutherans or amongst other reformers. And there was quite a lot of suspicion from these different camps concerning Philip Melanchthon. The Lutherans thought that he was compromising concerning the Lord's Supper. He actually agreed with Calvin in a lot of areas, though he was an associate with Luther and had differing views from Luther concerning the Lord's Supper. But when push came to shove, he wouldn't support Calvin in his views. He was very much a pragmatist. And so through everything, there are lots that could be said concerning uh, Philip Melanchthon. But one other thing that could be said about him is that one of his favorite verses or his favorite verse is one of the verses that is for, before us tonight. And it is verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that is a great Reformation theme, is it not? If God is for us, who can be against us? You could hear uh, the charge that would go on when that statement 
is read or thought about, and even as you meditate upon it, maybe that's your favorite verse as well. And Philip Melanchthon, as he got to the end of his life, he had this poster on his wall with this verse on it. And he wanted to be stationed as he was dying in his office where he had this, in his study, so that he could look at this very verse to encourage him in the time of death. And it's said, I've never been there, but it's said that you can go to his study even today in Wittenberg, Germany, and you can see this on his wall there. And perhaps some of you have done so uh, in tours of Wittenberg. But anyways, this was his favorite verse. And in life, it was always a great comfort to him. And then in his time of death, as he went through the valley of the shadow of death, this again was a reminder to him of God's goodness and that he was with him. And whatever we go through in this life, that is one of the things that we take with us, that we have a God who is for us, not a God who is against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? And again, as Melanchthon was dying, a pastor friend came and was reading Romans 8 to him. And when he got to that verse, he stopped him and made him read it again just so that he could meditate upon that great verse. So Romans 8 is a great passage of Scripture for us to meditate on. It's always good for us to be reminded of the doctrines that we see in here. We saw this morning no condemnation in verse 1 and the Holy Spirit's empowering the life of the believer that we are adopted into God's family. Future glory awaits us as we've just read in our reading this night. And the first Seven chapters of the book of Romans are very dark and then we turn to Romans chapter 8 and the the sun comes out as it were to warm us concerning the great doctrines that we have and can behold in our Lord Jesus Christ. And after after explaining these different truths to the church, uh, to the Roman church, the Apostle Paul then says in verse 31, what shall we then say? What then shall we say to these things? And if that question were asked to you, if you were full stop there in this text, what would your reply be? What would you say to these things? To all the things that we talked about this morning, to the things that we read about in the reading earlier, what shall we say to these things? In Paul's reply, he groups his logic into two main categories. And the first is concerning people who might threaten our security. Verses 31 to 34. Paul asks, what, shall, what then shall we say to these things? And then he replies with that rhetorical question in the last half of that verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer we could give is that there are a lot of things against us. The government seems to be against us. The school board could be against us. There could be a lot of things that we could enumerate that would be against us. Our family could be against us. The media could be against us. We could list a whole bunch of things that we could say are against us. That are not for biblical Christianity or for Christians. We could say that there are a lot of things against us. But Paul's point is that though there may be things that concern us, nothing in this world should shake us. The foundation that we have in the Lord, because if God is for us, then it doesn't matter who might be against us. And so if there's one takeaway for you this evening, if you remember nothing else, remember that God is for you, even when it appears as though He might be against you. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, that just nothing ever seems to work out. 
Is God really for me? Well, think about this for a minute. Gideon took 300 men and he fought against 135,000 Midianites. Now, he might have been thinking when God's reducing his army, hey, what's going on here? But he knew as he headed into battle that God was a God that was for him. David versus Goliath, he knew that God was for him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, we are only going to bow to God and it doesn't matter what you do, Nebuchadnezzar. You can throw us into the fire. God is going to deliver us. And if, even if he doesn't, who cares? God is still for us. Even if it might appear to you that he is against us. Such boldness and such confidence that we see in the word and such boldness and confidence we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Where does that come from? Well, they knew the truths that we see here in this text. They knew the truth of this passage very well. They knew that God was with them. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And I hope that you feel that way tonight. Like that you actually feel that way. That when you read the biblical text and you understand the character and the nature of God and you understand that you are adopted into God's family and you are a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have a future glory awaiting you. I hope that you understand that God is for you. It means that God gives us everything that we need for salvation to live a life that is pleasing to Him And when everything is all over, we're received into His presence. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, Paul says in Ephesians, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? There's no one stronger than God. There's no one capable to overthrow God. And therefore, if God that God is for us, then who can be against us? And that's why David is able to declare in Psalm 27 and verse 1 that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then earlier, that great psalm in Psalm 46, which is an awesome psalm for us to turn to, especially when we think that God has abandoned us, to remind us that He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He doesn't abandon His people in trouble. And then in verse 11 it said, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our strength. The Lord of hosts is with us. And so who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Verse 33. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That is a great thought to think about, that Christ is interceding for us. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. There may be others waiting in line who would want to accuse us of different things, and maybe those things could even be legitimate. But there's no accusation that can be brought to God with which a accusation would be sustained to the point where we are no longer those who receive that no condemnation status. There's nothing that would be sustained. When we look at Hebrews 7.25, it says, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And in verse 26 and 27 that we read earlier, it says that the, the Spirit intercedes for us. And so even though Christ's atoning work is finished, His continuing ministry 
of intercession will continue without interruption. It's an ongoing ministry on our behalf where He intercedes for us. And even though we could be accused of those things, and rightly so in some instances, there will never be enough to condemn us. Christ doesn't offer a temporary salvation. He offers us eternal life. Eternal life. It will be sustained. And other people cannot remove that security that God provides for us. Satan can't remove that security that God provides for us. Though he accuses us and he can sorely try us, he can never take away the salvation that is ours in Christ. So who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's a legal question. It's a legal question. Who can bring any charges and have them sustained that will jeopardize your legal status of being justified by the atoning work of Jesus Christ? And the answer, of course, is no one. Nothing can be sustained. Satan can come before God and accuse you. Others could come before God perhaps and accuse you. And God can pound down the gavel and say, dismissed. All charges, dismissed. It's a wonderful contemplation for us that Jesus paid it all. Robert Haldane said in his exposition to Romans that it is impossible for a man to be a Christian without having Christ. And if he has Christ, he has at the same time all that is in Christ. What gives peace to the conscience is that by faith our sins are no more ours, but Christ's, upon whom God hath laid them all. And that, on the other hand, all Christ's righteousness is ours, to whomever God has freely given it. And that is, in essence, what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. That He made Him who, made, who, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God gave Him up for us all, and graciously gave us all things, our text says. So there are people that could try to threaten our security. Satan could try to threaten us. But there are also events and circumstances that happen in our lives that seek to unsettle us. And we see that unfolding in the life of the Apostle Paul as he lists a summary statement of some of the things that tried to threaten his security in this world. And we see that in verses 35 and 36. Paul gives seven things that tried to threaten him and could even threaten us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That last verse there is a quote from Psalm 44. So we all have circumstances and events that come along in our lives that seek to shake us and rattle us and, and take away our security. And we can even wonder sometimes and question, what is going on? What in the world is God doing? What is He trying to do in this particular circumstance? Everything seems to be going well for us until all of a sudden there's a phone call. There's an email. There's a text. There's a conversation we have with somebody. And life can unravel for us very quickly. We may even begin to question the Lord and His care for us. Does God really love me? Does He not see what's happening to me? Is He an ever-present help in time of trouble? Or has He abandoned me in my trouble? And we could come up with a list of trials and circumstances or events that would appear to threaten our security, threaten our very lives even. 
And I know some of you have had those types of trials. I've had those types of trials that seek to undermine our security. And Paul was no different. And we see this list that he talks about here. Tribulation, that is severe adversity. Distress, hopelessness. Have you ever been hopeless? What a terrible place that is to be. Persecution, suffering for Jesus' sake. Famine, not having enough food to eat. Nakedness, not being able to adequately clothe yourself, protect yourself from the elements of cold. Danger or peril, being exposed to dangerous situations. You think about the Apostle Paul and and being shipwrecked and, and a night and a day at sea and all these different circumstances that came along in his life. And then, of course, physical persecutions that he experienced. The sword, being killed, people that wanted to take his life because of the preaching of the word. And eventually he did give his life as he was beheaded. And so we can see these lists that the Apostle Paul has here, this truncated version. We can see a longer version in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But Paul wants us to know that events and circumstances, as trying and difficult as they are, these sufferings that we go through in this life, as hurtful and unsettling as they can be, cannot separate the believer from God. They never will, even though we might feel as though there's separation. We might feel an impact in such a way. God never abandons us in our trouble. So neither people or events can threaten our security. And as a result, the believer has, thirdly, victory. Victory over everything that would threaten our security. Verse 37, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Paul knew what he was talking about. He went through a lot of adversity. And yet he says that we are more than conquerors. What does that mean? Isn't it just enough to conquer? No, Paul says we are more than conquerors. And when you think about the context of the life of the Apostle Paul, how he's going through adversity even as he's writing these things, even as we read the book of Philippians, even as we read Timothy and different things that he is going through in his life. I read a quote this week and it said, a conqueror can rejoice when they win the battle. You see, we, we, can, we can rejoice when we are in victory and living a life of victory. That's, that's quite easy for us, isn't it? If you are more than a conqueror, you can rejoice in the midst of the battle. So not just after the victory, but during the battle. And that is the Apostle Paul. That's the epitome of the life of the Apostle Paul. As we see the day in the life of the Apostle Paul here in all these adverse conditions, he lived a life of more than a conqueror. He was more than a conqueror because he was so confident in what the Lord was doing. How confident are you in what the Lord is doing? What's going on in your life that might be seeking to undermine the security that you have in this world. Our security, of course, comes from relationship with Christ and union with Him, but there are circumstances that come along in life that want to cut us out at the knees and take away our joy in living. How confident are you that God is a God who is for you? Well, look at verse 38. Paul was very confident. For I am sure... I am sure, your version may say, I am persuaded. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's confidence. The angelic realm, everything supernatural, everything physical, it doesn't matter what's against me. I know, I am persuaded, I am sure that God is a God who is for me. Do we have that confidence that God is a God who is for us? Now in our closing few minutes that we have, as we look for five or so minutes, there's a couple of different themes of of application. You might be sitting back and saying, now wait a second. That sounds all good. You know, we can spend a day looking at the promises of God from Romans chapter 8. But if God is such a God who is for us, why do so many bad things happen to us? We can feel as though God has abandoned us when bad things are happening to us. Sickness, bereavements, job loss, wayward children, fill in the blank. There's a lot of things that we could look at and say, is God really for me? Many disappointments, many discouragements. And that is an awesome question that I want you to wait perhaps until next week and we will perhaps go a little ways towards answering that. If God is a God who is for us, Why do so many bad things happen to us? I hope to answer that next week or in in the, the coming weeks. But there are many practical lessons that we can pick up from the Romans chapter 8 and from the book of Romans. But Romans chapter 8 specifically, there's a lot of different things here. If you are struggling with a lack of assurance, certainly Romans chapter 8 should be a great encouragement to you. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then look at verse 30 that we read earlier. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's no gaps there. Jesus doesn't lose any along the way. We are safe in his hand. We will not be lost. It's finished. We can't sin our way out of heaven. Though Christians may fall in heinous and wicked sins, we cannot sin our way out of heaven. John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's no condemnation You won't be lost on the way. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're going. You're going. Because of what Christ has done for you. So if you have a lack of assurance, first of all, you need to know that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you committed your way unto the Lord? Are you trusting in Him alone for salvation? If you turn to 1 John in chapter 5, it says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. What are the, these things that the Apostle John talks about there? Well, a love for God, a love for His Word, a love for God's people. These types of things where we can look at and we can see tangibly, yes, the Lord has changed me. Before I hated church, before I hated the Word, before I hated Christians. And now I love these things. Can I have comfort when facing my own death or the death of a loved one? Can we have comfort in death? Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15 tells us that people are subject to the bondage of the fear of death all their lives. 
And I don't know about you, but I know people that live that way. They are afraid of death. And that is a terrible thing to be enslaved to. For the Christian, we don't have to live in bondage to the fear of death. We don't have to have that preoccupation about death. We can entrust ourselves to a faithful Creator. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church up until 1960 when he died. But long before that, his young wife passed away and leaving him with four children. And as he was driving away from the funeral, he was wondering, how on earth am I going to explain the the death of these children's mother to them? They're too young to comprehend this. And so as he was thinking about these things, a big truck drove by their car and drew a, a big shadow across the car and then the shadow disappeared. And then he thought to himself, and he said to his children, would you rather be run over by a truck or by the shadow of a truck? And of course the children say, well, that's easy. We would rather be run over by the shadow than the truck. That wouldn't hurt at all. And then their father said to them, well, children, your mother just went through the valley of the shadow of death and there's no pain there either. It reminds us of Psalm 23 and verse 2, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So it is a great comfort to us when we are bereaved of loved ones and we face death ourselves that it is but a shadow of death. It is not a final death. It is a gateway into a place, a stately palace, as Richard Baxter or Richard Sibbs says. He says, death is is only a grim porter to let us into a stately palace. That is what awaits us. And that is what we see here in Romans chapter 8 as we see the future glory that awaits us. And again, Philip Melanchthon died in 1560 in this. Verse 31 was a great encouragement to him. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then a hundred years after him, John Bunyan was in a, a very depressed state, a very sad state, a very despondent state. And he was over at a friend's house and he was sitting there lamenting the condition of his own heart. He's a man who knew the Lord. And he was in great distress at this particular time. And then this verse struck him as he sat there. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe that? Do you have confidence in that? Can you say with the Apostle Paul, as he says in verse 38, that I am sure, I am persuaded. Can you be that confident and sure of your God? We need to feast and feed upon the promises that we see in a great chapter like Romans chapter 8 and remind ourselves of who God is, who we are in light of who God is and all that He's done for us. And that will change our perspective. Matthew Henry, just in closing, he says, God is for us. All of His attributes for us. His promises for us. All that He is and has and does is for His people. He performs all things for them. He is for them even when He seems to act against them. And if so, who can be against us? Let Satan do his worst. He is chained. Let the world do its worst. It is conquered. Who then dares fight against us? while God Himself is fighting for us. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we do thank You for the promises that we see here in Your Word and we 
ask that you'd help us to live in light of them, that you would encourage us by your spirit and by your word to live in these ways that have great boldness and great confidence in who you are. Lord, when we look to ourselves, we can lament when we look to Christ and the promises that are there. We can rejoice in all that has been done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.